Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat and open your Bible. Your copy of God's Word to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. One of the books that I've been so blessed by in recent weeks, probably as much as any book that I've read about the church, is written by Mark Hearn. I referenced it a few weeks ago. It's an incredible book called Hearing in Technicolor that shares about the wonderful transformation that has been happening over at First Baptist Duluth, Georgia, which is right around the corner from here. And it's a tremendous story of how God is working and moving in the life of that church. Duluth has experienced significant change within its community. And this church is reaching all kinds of different people from different cultures. Over 40 nations are a part of the membership on Sunday morning. And it's just a phenomenal read to learn about how God is working and what he's doing and how he's moving in that church. And so our staff is reading it. Some of our other church members are reading this incredible book. And one of the stories that Mark tells is of a time that um, they had a Nigerian pastor that they had caught word of was relocating from his native country of Nigeria, bringing his family to the United States for him to study at the local seminary there at New Orleans Extension, and and when the church heard about it, they knew that God had laid it on their heart through what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do to care well for this pastor and his family. So they set themselves up to do whatever they needed to do to make all the provisions, to, to do all they could to help on their end so that the family would be ready when they arrived. And the first thing they addressed is what anybody would need if you're relocating. You've got to have a place to live. And so... The pastor met with another one of his church members that was very versed in Nigerian culture to try to find a suitable place for this family to call home. And they began to look around, and they learned along the way that there was a church that had an open parsonage that no one was inhabiting and, or living within. And they learned that the church rent was, that the rent they were charging was something that would be affordable. So after learning of that, Pastor Mark brought his layman and said, let's go look at it. Let's see if this is where they need to be. And so they went to that particular house, and Mark writes in his book, he really liked the house. It was plenty big enough. It was in decent shape. It it crossed all the boxes off that they were looking for, for a good place for his family, plenty of room for everybody in the family to be. And then he looked at his friend who was there helping him make the decision, said, this is it. This is kind of a no-brainer. Don't you agree? And he said, absolutely not. He said, you don't agree? He's like, no. And then he explained why. All the other things were true of that house, but the house was located in an area that didn't have hardly any neighbors around. And his understanding of Nigerian culture especially helped him know that if this family were going to launch well, they would need the encouragement and support of the community around them in order to really flourish after landing here. So he said, Pastor, I know you like the house, but we got to keep looking. Now, eventually they did find the right place for this family to go, and it met the need of the neighbors around. But I was thinking about that story and the importance of neighbors to that particular pastor in his family. And can I tell you how I'm not sure I would have understood it as well as I do now two years ago before this pandemic started. I think back then we had grown so accustomed to living life on our own and trying to figure out how to make it work without the need of community 
And then March of 2020 came, and we found ourselves isolated and by ourselves. And all of a sudden, we needed to not only lean on neighbors, but relearn how to live in a relationship with other neighbors. And when we felt the weight of what it meant to try to be alone together as we were seeing commercials, which that still doesn't make any sense at all to me, we just felt the need of it. And when we knew that that community was threatened, all of a sudden we then had to learn how important it truly was. So that is one of the great lessons and benefits, I think, of the hardship that we've experienced. We've had to relearn the importance of community. And I'm thankful when I open up Nehemiah chapter 5 because I see something very similar in this chapter. Because you read about the importance of community from the way it is being threatened in these verses. And the threat of Nehemiah chapter 5 is different from last week as we looked at the previous chapter. Last week's chapter is about the threat of those who are outside of the city of Jerusalem. The enemies that were externally found around Jerusalem, wanting the city to remain weak and vulnerable by not having the necessary walls to keep it strong. And so as Nehemiah was using the people and following the Lord to rebuild the walls, the threat of the enemy, it really jeopardized things. But we see how God showed them how to put a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other as they were faithful to continue the hard work of rebuilding the walls. But then you come to this week's chapter, and there is a threat, but it's a whole scale different kind of threat. The first was external, but this one seems to be almost more insidious because the threat in chapter 5 is an internal threat. And what we saw in rebuilding the walls, the people had been busy through chapter 4 to do that work. But when you come to chapter 5, they're not busy doing the work of the walls because they're too busy arguing with each other internally. And when you see this problem, and as we see it and we read about how it persists, you get a real sense that this could deeply threaten whether or not they're going to see the fulfillment of what God had called them to do in rebuilding the walls. So I want us to look at this entire chapter, and this is how I want us to understand the chapter. If we, church, are going to do what we learn from this chapter, and if any of us are going to accomplish God's purposes, what is going to be required is that every one of us must do all of the part that's necessary, do his part or her part, if we're going to meet the needs of other people. We're going to see that as we walk through this text together. Read it with me as we open up in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the opening five verses. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. You open up chapter 5 verse 1. And the first words 
speak of a great outcry within the city. The work is not going as it ought because, as I've said, they're not working on these physical walls like they should because they're too busy building invisible walls of separation and resentment between the people within the ranks of those living within Jerusalem. So in verse 3 we learn an interesting detail of the story. As the people are doing the work, there comes upon them an untimely famine. But as you read this chapter, especially within the context of rebuilding the walls, the work of reclamation that Nehemiah centers on, it seems that the concentration on the wall instead of doing the work of the crops, it's what's brought the major reason for the scarcity of food. You see, the people are so busy doing the work God's called them to do, they've not taken the time to farm the land as they should. So yes, there's a famine, but I really believe this is the greater issue. Have you ever been in the situation, you've been so busy doing the work God's called you to do, you've not had home time to get home and to fix the dinner from scratch for your family? Have you ever been stuck in that situation? I don't know how you solve it. There's different degrees that my family goes through. One of mine has to do with a rotisserie chicken from Kroger or Publix. It's awful when I get there too late, though, and there's no more rotisserie to be found. And then you got to figure out some other plan. But for our family, when we're in the throes of that, it becomes a rotisserie chicken and baked beans, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's what we eat. Maybe a salad. Something fast that's good that you can get over with. But I tell you, sometimes I really splurge when I don't have time to get the food put together. And you know what I then do? Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's what you do in those situations. But in the situation for the people here, they don't have an answer like we have in those moments. They've been working so hard, they've not had time to work the fields. The famine has complicated things even worse. And now here they are, the day of work is over, and they don't have any food to take care of their family with. And so that's the situation that's at hand. And as you read of this, instead of following God's law, they're doing other things instead that's just adding to the crisis. You know what I think is so true when we find ourselves in a hard place? Many times we're there because we have ignored the provision that God's given us and the wisdom that is found in the Bible if we just open it and God will then show us what to do. Well, surely the people knew that they could just open up the Bible and know how to then answer the problem that they faced, but they were ignoring what the Bible had taught. If only they'd have paid attention to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 19 and 20, it would have guided them through this crisis and taken away its sting. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy. Moses gave them this wisdom and how they should treat each other. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. That Lord, The Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land, that you are entered to take possession of it. So when you read here, if only the people would have paid attention to what God's law had given them to know how to treat each other. I got really um, uh, aware of this verse when I was ministering in Kentucky. Pastor Adam and I were there, and 
Our church was on the front lines of an issue that was developing all throughout the state of these folks who were taking advantage of others through these really quick local shops called payday lenders that would open up and you could bring your paycheck to these places if you had a hard time paying your bills. They would give you an advance of what you were going to get in your paycheck. But here's the catch. If you could not pay back your loan to these payday lenders within just a few couple of weeks, that the interest that they charged was 30 or 40% immediately. So you had these people stuck in this awful pattern that they could not break out of. And the vicious cycle was oppressing them and was keeping them down. And our churches were getting together to say, this isn't right. You can't take advantage of people this way. We've got to rise up and pay attention to what we're doing. The sin that was happening in that is the sin that the people of Israel were committing right here in our text. It's the sin called usury. It's taking advantage of people, taxing them in an unrealistic place so that people who are struggling are staying oppressed and have no hope of ever escaping their situation. That's what we have here in these opening verses of chapter 5. And the sad thing is, it's brothers and sisters within God's people treating each other this way. If only they'd have paid attention to what Deuteronomy 29 teaches. If they would have done that, they would have known how to maintain harmony with each other and live in a rightful way. But verse 3 tells us instead that people were having to mortgage their fields and their vineyards. Others are having to go into serious debt trying to cover the taxes on their land that they could not pay. And in order to settle the debts, as we continue to read on in verses 4 and 5, if they were unable to pay those debts and were upside down, the only way they could settle those debts so they could have some hope of putting food on the table was to sell their children into debt slavery so then they could turn around and be able to have the need met of having some kind of food. Isn't this an awful situation? And when you read of it and you learn this isn't just some pagan nation doing this to God's people, these are those who are of means within the people of God treating their brothers and sisters this way. When you read this, you ought to be appalled. That's the only way to read this text correctly. In a time that people's survival required for them to stay together, what you're seeing here is the absolute opposite is happening. So how do we avoid these mistakes? Do you think beyond yourself long enough to consider the way that you acquire money from others? When you think about your business ventures, especially with other believers, could it be that you could be treating them in a way that makes it difficult for them to stay devoted to the work that God calls them to do within the church because you're le leveling them with even further burden? We just can't do these things. Now you look at this and you say, well, in a financial sense, it's really hard to think about a situation that I might be doing that. That might be you. Have you thought about how we are doing it to each other when we choose not to serve within the church? This is a hard time, folks. And one of the things that churches all over are struggling with is volunteerism. 
Our church is always built on the people of God serving so that the church can function well. And across the board, there's an issue at work when we're having a handful of people doing all kinds of jobs so we can have church and our church can function well in the morning. And when we think about those things, it's very similar to what we have here. It all is built out of a blind spot of presumption in which we're not understanding that many hands working together is what makes the work light. So as you read this text and we think about the effect that it has on the body, now you're starting to see why it is so important for us to treat each other in a way that God intends for us to, all doing our part together for the good of the family of faith and the community that's gathered together. So as you're trying to apply these verses, here's what I want you to take away this morning. We need to, all of us, look for ways to lessen the burden that we put on other people. Instead of adding to the burden, we need to always be looking for ways to lessen that burden. Isn't it hard to live this way sometimes, though? We get so fixated on what we need to get done that so many times we can live our life with a tunnel vision and not consider the needs of so many around us. And if we're not careful when we're living our lives that way, we're adding to their burden instead of taking it away. But the takeaway from this text is if we're going to be a healthy, vibrant community of faith, then we have to consider the needs of each other and work hard to lessen each other's burden. That's the way that we care for each other well. You know, I was thinking about this. I was having a conversation with my good friends, David Thompson, one of our deacons and who teaches classes in our church, and God has laid on his heart the text in which Jesus says, Come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And David was sharing with me recently that those words of Jesus have wrecked him in recent weeks. That he is so struck by the care that Jesus gives us to help those who are weary by us placing our burdens on the Lord and letting him carry them for us. And you know what I was thinking as I was considering this text? When we are living our lives in a way that is persistently looking to lessen the burden on other people, we are living our lives reflecting the love that Jesus has for them. Jesus lives so that we don't carry burdens, that we can enter into his rest. That's why he died. That's the work of the gospel. And when we live our lives lessening the burden of other people, finding ways that we can help carry their burdens, and when we're all doing that for one another, that is what brings a healthy, vibrant community in which God is being glorified. And that's the first lesson of these opening five verses. We've got to look for ways to lessen the burden on others. Well, Nehemiah knows that he's got to lead his people through this struggle because any astute leader understands that if they don't get this lesson right, the entire project of rebuilding the walls is going to be stopped in its tracks. So when he sees the injustice that's happening and the problems within the people, he knows he's got to address it. Look at his response beginning in verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. It brought in him righteous indignation. Have you ever looked at injustice in the world today and just felt rise up in you a sense of anger? You know, I want you to know that I think God gives you that for a reason. And I want you to hear me when I tell you that a lot of times that comes from a really good place 
And God has created us to be emotional people. Did you know that? Stoicism, trying to avoid emotion, is an unhealthy, unhuman way to live. That God gave us these emotions for a reason. We're going to see that repeatedly in Nehemiah's example. Remember what happened when he learned of the problems of the people? He was brokenhearted and fasted and prayed and wept for four months and then moved into action. Here we find him angry when he learns of the problems that are happening within the midst of his own ranks. But I want you to notice what he does with that anger. God gave us emotions for a reason, but can I tell you, you cannot be controlled by those emotions. And if you don't go before the Lord to bring them in check, you're never going to express them as you should. Nehemiah shows a lot of wisdom in verse 6. It says that when he heard their outcry and he became angry, he said in verse 7, I took counsel with myself. I love that expression. You know what that means? The literal understanding in the original language is this. He ruled over his heart. He didn't let his emotions overcome him but he took the time to stop and bring them into a place that God could use them in an appropriate way. And after he took the time to really think about what was at work, look at what the fruit of that yielded. It says that he took counsel with himself, and then he brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And listen to what he said. You're exacting interest, each from his brother, and I held a great assembly against them and sat and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. What an answer. I'll remember the first conversation I had with our executive pastor, Adam Bishop, over sweet tea at McAllister's. I was facing a challenge in the church and I knew him to be a worship leader and I reached out to Adam and I said, can I just pick your brain on some of the things we're facing in our church? And after he listened to me and gave me his counsel, I remember looking at him and saying, man, you dissected that like a master surgeon. The way you identified the issue and then carefully worked through what the answer ought to be. You get a sense of this from Nehemiah because after he had felt the anger of what to do and then brought his heart into check, what he does in response is masterful. Because like a surgeon, he just takes his scalpel and he goes straight to the heart of the issue and he aims to cut out the cancer and fix the issue and bring healing. What he says here is amazing. He says... This is the problem. You're exacting interest from his brother. And he said he held an assembly against them and said, we, as far as we have been able, have been brought back, we brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. Do you see that? For all those years of exile, the Jewish people were sold into slavery. They didn't even have a place to call home. And what he's looking at those who are in authority and doing, he's saying, listen, Remember how all of us were sold into slavery? All of you who are wealthy, who are taxing people in an unjust way, do you realize that you are leading them into the same kind of slavery that they just left? And boy, that hit hard. It hit hard. Look at what the text says. 
It says in verse 8, they were silent and couldn't even find a word to say. So then Nehemiah continued, the thing you're doing is not good. And listen to the action he calls them to. Walk in the fear of God. Isn't that the place where repentance always begins? Walk in the fear of the Lord. Prevent the taunts and the nations of our enemies. It wasn't just that the people were being disgraced. It was that God was being disgraced by the way that they were acting. Can I just tell you, when we don't act like we ought within each other, yes, it is wrong against those we offend, but we're not just a great disgracing other people. We're disgracing the Lord. And Nehemiah says, you're bringing disgrace against the people of God. It is disgracing God as you're doing it in the eyes of our enemies. Verse 10, moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. We're meeting the need. But this is what you've got to do if you're guilty. Abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, the percentage of the money that you've taken, grain, wine, and oil that you have exacted from them. He says, make right and make whole all the things that you've messed up and do it immediately. So this is the way of repentance. Fear God. Stop disgracing Him by how we're acting. And then when it comes to making it right, make it whole again. And do it with quickness. Don't wait very long. You've got to do this now. I love this action because when he calls the people to do that, do you see what they do in verse 12? They don't waffle back and forth and weigh what he said and try to negotiate. Look at what it says in verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. This is a mark of true repentance. And they understand that God is speaking through Nehemiah, calling them to live this way. So Nehemiah says, I called the priests and made them swear to what they had promised. He wasn't just going to let them get away with just saying the right thing but not following through. They've got to make good on it. So he made a covenant with them. He shook out the fold of his garment and he said, May God shake out every man of this house from his labor who doesn't keep this promise. May they be shaken out and emptied. And the assembly, when they saw, not only would they say this, but they must live it out, they agreed. They said, Amen, let it be. And they praised God, and they did just as they had promised. This is the answer. When they realized their sin, they repented. So from this text, we not only learn how to look for ways to lessen the burden of others, to maintain our unity and be healthy and well before the Lord together, the next thing we learn is this. Do as these people did and own the times that you hurt others more than you help others. Just own it. Just admit it. There are going to be times that we have blind spots, that we hurt each other. And when we learn of those ways, don't try to wish it off or explain it away. Just own it and say, oh God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And make it right with the people that you've hurt. And then walk in the glory of repentance. This is what we're called to do. Own the times that we've hurt others instead of helping them. And this is sort of the pattern that God's people have to learn. I wish I had more time to explain this. This is the reason why we have community groups that we're starting as a church, so that we can share life together, knowing that we need to be around each other, to encourage each other. And when we mess it up and when we blow it, that we're there together to restore that relationship, to care for one another within that vibrant community so we're walking together together. 
in a way of unity and health. It's why what we're doing tonight matters so deeply. It's why our Sunday school classes need to be grounded on these truths, the ones that meet perpetually. It's why we have church in one expression of worship. So we can be together to live life in community with one another. All these things work together to strengthen the community that we have. There's going to be times we blow it. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to say, I'm sorry. And when we do that and we walk in the spirit that God calls us to walk in, we're all better for it. Well, Nehemiah chapter 5 concludes with this message of Nehemiah's personal generosity. I encourage you to study that on your own. It begins in verse 14. It goes through the end of the chapter. Nehemiah is a man who had coming to him a significant amount of allotment of financial good for being the governor to the people. But instead of taxing the people, he refused to take that money. It goes on to explain how he was a man of immense wealth, but he used all that God had given him to steward his resources to care for over 150 people that would regularly come to his table. Not just his officials, but others within Jerusalem, and even people outside of the nations would benefit from Nehemiah's generosity. And you read about that in these losing verses, how he lived all of his life and leveraged all of his resources And here's what we need to learn to follow his example. Steward your resources so that you can bless others. You see, Nehemiah thought it to be a tremendous privilege. A privilege to be the governor of the people, but the greater privilege was to promote the health and the well-being of the vibrant community around him. And that mattered so much, he leveraged everything that he had to be used by God in that way. Have you ever found it to live your life in this place that the greatest privilege you find is found in something much bigger than you? As you give your life and leverage your life for the good of everyone around you? When you see what Nehemiah turned down in order to serve others so well, I want you to know it shouldn't surprise us that this is how he lived. Because when you really get what it means to live under the grace of the Lord Jesus, that God has given you so much, how can you do anything but leverage every part of who you are and use it for the glory of God? That doesn't mean that you give everything away. That means you steward what God has given you for the good of many. For 12 years, if you read in this text, he brought people around the table and blessed them. The entire time he was governor. What a privilege to be a part of something so wonderful. Church, that's what we have. That's what God calls us to. So if we're going to fulfill the work that God's calling us to do, then we've got to look around us and find ways to lessen the burden on other people, to live with others in mind. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. And as we do those things and we see the times that we hurt, we need to own the times that we hurt others instead of helping them. And when we get the opportunity to leverage our resources for the glory of God, let's be faithful to steward everything we have for His purposes to be fulfilled in our life. I want to ask you to bow your head and 
close your eyes, and as we enter into this time of invitation, it just gives us the chance to respond to God's Word. Nehemiah knew it was a privilege to serve the Lord. Serving something bigger and greater than Him. Serving the one that created Him gave Him a reason for living unlike anything this world can match. And if you are looking for a reason to exist, a purpose to fill your heart and your life, you will find it in relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than knowing Him and living your life to make Him known to others. It gives you a reason to get yourself out of bed every day. It gives you a reason to disciple your children and your family, to live each day with the privilege of living for His glory and serving Christ. And if you do not know Him, you've never experienced that privilege something empty and missing and if you want that to be filled with Christ won't you right now just turn to him to receive Jesus to understand that when you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead when we understand what Jesus has done in living a life that we could not live in his perfection and dying a death that we deserve to die but he did it in our place then we're given life eternal as he was raised from the dead and he gives us life in him you find a reason to live unlike anything this world can bring. Don't you want to live for him? I tell you, when we think, though, for those of us who know Jesus, about our need to invest in the community right here, what God has given us, it's such a treasure. It's a treasure to be a part of the family of God here. It's a treasure that we want to hold lightly, and we want to just be thankful for. Find your way to bless this community. Lessen the burdens of others. Admit the times that you hurt others and you don't even mean to, but you just want to walk in repentance of those times. Let's just be stewards of what God has given us. Father, show us how this text applies to our lives. And if there's one particular place that your spirit is working on anyone's heart, I pray that they will allow your spirit to do that work, that we will not turn it away but Father, we'll be forever changed by these truths in Nehemiah chapter 5. Father, I pray that you'll do magnificent things in our future, just as you did for Nehemiah and his people. Thank you so much for this text. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.